You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Hey, everyone. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that smiling when you're in a stressful situation can minimize the effect of your body's response to stress, even if you're faking it. So next time you're feeling stressed out, you can put on that like fake wooden smile and it'll have a measurable physiological impact, even if you look kind of dorky. And that's based on something from the Association of Psychological Science. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest is uh, it's, it's actually a podcast I've wanted to have for, for quite a while. And today's guest is, I'm going to say his name right, I promise myself, Ja Jung. I said it right. I got a thumbs up. Woohoo! You can see that in your cars, but that was good. So Jaw is author of Rejection Proof, How I Beat Fear and Became Invincible Through 100 Days of Rejection. And the reason I've wanted to do this podcast with Jaw is that his idea is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and the idea is, look, if you have the normal neurological response to stress or to, to rejection, which is stress, because there's this little thing that happens in your head that's like, okay, Someone said no, and that triggers all that, like, someone told me no when I was a little kid, and when you said no, then I was bad, and this all this weird programming has nothing to do with your conscious brain, and it raises your stress levels. So a lot of people unconsciously avoid things, things that they could do, things they should do, things they want to do, because they're afraid someone might say no, and they sort of craft their life to avoid it, and so Ja said, screw that, I'm going to hack it, and wrote a book about it with really just a, a way of just just heading the or facing down the fear head on and he runs fearbuster.com and he's an entrepreneur and he's also CEO of a tech startup and the man behind the Krispy Kreme Olympic symbol donut video which you probably did see because 5 million people saw it on YouTube so this is a guy with lots and lots of skills and does kind of cool amazing stuff but mostly he hacked rejection and that's why he's on the show Ja, welcome uh, thank you for having me. By the way, Dave, if you're not, if you're not doing this, you can be a heck of a PR person. 
that intro was awesome. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm if I'm offended that I'm a PR person or I'm I'm a complimented, but I'll take no, it. No, take it. Take it as a compliment. It was, it was great. Uh, so, but but really, I, I first heard about what you were doing a couple of years ago. I'm like that's kind of smart. So, what what is your story? Like, like give me your, your your story. How did you end up at this rejection thing? Kind of tell me how you got here. Yeah, so um, I have, long story short, I've always want to be an entrepreneur. That's like, um, you know, I met Bill Gates uh, when I was in China, I, where I grew up. Uh, he inspired me to become an entrepreneur. But then it didn't happen until I was 30 uh, that I, ha- I could step out of my job and, and really try this. And it wasn't for lack of opportunities. I had a lot of ideas I wanted to try, but and it was like every time there was a chance for me to become, to do something, to try something new, to step out, or even at work to speak up, to give a new proposal. I had this fear, you know, and what, what if it sucked? What if people wouldn't like me? What if they would reject me? And that type of rejection helped me back for a long time. So at age 30, I said, um, you know, my wife and I had this agreement for me to give right before our first kid popped out, um, we, we said, um, you know, give this entrepreneurship thing a try uh, before you become too old and, 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 you know, miss the boat. So try this for a few months and see what happens. And then um, pretty quickly, I was rejected with an investment after I, my, I started my startup and I just wanted to quit. And that type of fear made me realize, wow, you know, I can build a better team. I can build a better product. But one thing for sure I got to be a better person. I got to be a better leader. I cannot let this fear of rejection, um, you know, hold me back forever. So I started this blog called 100 Days of Rejection, where I, every day I would go out and, and look for rejection. Uh, and uh, to, I talk to strangers, like I would want to borrow $100, you know, go to a burger joint, ask for a burger refill rather than a drink refill. Um, just uh, ask, knock on strangers' door, try to play soccer in someone's backyard, you know, things like that. Um, that for sure will get rejected. I did this for a hundred days and to experience rejection. I want to uh, hack my brain uh, to lose that fear. You know, this is some. Um, th- I mean, the basis of this is you know exposure therapy, right? It's also based on this Canadian guy. Uh, his name is Jason Conley. He, he invented this thing called the uh, rejection therapy. It's based on this concept of looking for rejection, but uh, overcome the fear in the meantime. So that's the that's the origin of my story. So, so I'm dying to know: Did you get the burger refill? <laughs> I did not get the burger <laughs> refill, but I, I mean, if I did, I would go back there every day. I'd probably die by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the thing is, um, I got a lot of yeses. Not burger refill, but I got quite a few of yes. Which what's the what's the weirdest yes you got? Yeah. So day three, you know, as you mentioned, the Krispy Kreme one that was really weird. Where at the time, I thought there's no way anyone would say yes to me any of these requests. But day three, I went to a Krispy Kreme. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a donut shop based here in the United States. I, I, at the time, I was living in Austin, so it was really popular in Texas. So I went to the store and asked them to make me donuts that that can be interlinked, uh, that look like Olympic symbols. And uh, so, and there's no way they're gonna say yes, right? Yeah. But the, the donut maker took me so seriously, and she was so nice. And 15 minutes later, she came up with a box that looked like of donuts that looked like Olympic symbol. I was wow. just floored. And not only that, she paid for it. Uh, and she's like, you know, it's in, you know, this one's on me. And I, at the moment, I almost cried because <laughs> I, you know, I, it was totally unexpected. I did not know I was going to get a yes. But also that human kindness that was just shown in that video, um, which just blew my mind. And also the thing is, I went after that experience, I asked myself, how many Olympic donuts experiences have I missed because I didn't ask, you know, because I was afraid of that no, because I kept saying no to myself. So uh, ever since that, I said, you know what? I'll let people reject me. I will not reject myself anymore. So, so I, it, there's a natural instinct people have to help other people. And yeah, this isn't something that I I really knew about when I was was growing up. And I remember I started university at UC Santa Barbara, and I was like 16. Uh, uh, and I skipped, I think, kindergarten or a very early grade. So like I was one of the youngest people in college. And 
I had no idea that people actually wanted to help you because I just didn't see the world that way. And I remember this guy, my freshman year, his name was uh, Clark Kent, like Kent Clark Superman, but, but backwards. <laughs> That's why I remember it so many years later. And he was like this really successful music guy, like, like had, had done a series of startups. And he's, here he was talking to a bunch of kids. And I remember just thinking, like, what does he want? Like, there's an mm-hmm. ulterior motive. And I didn't understand that what he wanted to do was to help. And so I would never ask for help. Right. Because asking for help and receiving help would be like a like weakness. And, and yep. it's funny when you said like you, you felt like you wanted to cry when, when you realized, wait a minute, like someone actually is willing to do something out of their way to help me without expecting anything in return. That, that, that's our nature to do that. But I never grew up expecting that. Like no one consciously trained me to, to think otherwise. I just never, it never occurred to me. So, so was that for you the moment? Like, why did you feel like crying there? Was, was that the moment you're like, oh, my God, like, like people are actually nice? Like, like what went through your head when yeah. that happened? I mean, basically, I did this thing as a way to get rejection so I could strengthen myself, right? I, I was, uh, I wanted to, to toughen myself up and become a, like a badass at the end. That's, that was my goal. But people said yes to me. That means, you know, people are so much nicer than and the society uh, and people, the world in general are so much nicer than I thought. And, and, you know, that unexpectedness and that discovery and the sense of possibility of, wow, you know, if this is possible, if Olympic donuts is possible, what else is possible if I try? You know, what do you, if I just ask, what else can be accomplished? What else can be, you know, dreamed ahead and, and experienced? That possibility um, that made me want, wanted to cry. Now, it's also hard for us to reject people. So a lot of people say yes because they're afraid to say no. It's like the opposite of like yep. we're afraid to hear no, but we're also afraid to say no, right? Yeah. How many people said yes to you because they were afraid to say no? Um, I think there are probably some of that. You know, people have a tendency of say yes. Like I'm the one of the worst. Ex- I used to be at least one of the worst examples of people who can't say no uh, because I feel like I felt like a jerk, right? I felt <laughs> like by me saying no to people they are rejecting me. So that said, that fear of rejection is manifested in me giving rejection. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who felt that. But there are people also, as, as you're mentioning, people have the tendency to say yes. Like, for example, this uh, uh, this person, her name's Jackie, you know, um, uh, from Krispy Kreme. Um, I, I know there's a, uh, also, uh, I know there's a Jackie for, uh, working for you as well, but yeah. um, they're different both Jackie. nice. Uh, Jack, different Jackie. But this uh, Jackie Brown from Krispy Kreme, I, I later on, I became friends with her and asked her, why would you say yes to me? And she's like, wow, you know, how can I say no? Because my I wanted to make every customer happy, you know, and that thank you for coming up with the weird uh, request because that challenged me. It gave me a chance to to perform. It gave me a chance to show that I care. So she was very grateful. And this kind of pattern um, was just, you know showed again and again in my hundred days of rejection, where I talk to people afterward. They're like, "Thank you for coming because um, you know I love to I love that challenge. Uh, I love to make customers happy. I love to make strangers happy. That's why in the end I got fifty one yeses and forty nine noes." You know, and and more yeses than noes. And I'm pretty sure a lot of that was based on the fact that, you know, people um, just love to help. Of course, there are some people who just are afraid of saying no. I'm sure there are that as well. You know, actually, I'm uh, we're doing some study into that uh, right now to see what's the percentage of people being uh, unwilling to say no, but versus the the ones who just want to say no and just want to say yes. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough thing, and, and it could be some of both, right? Yeah. Um, I, I used to be one of those people who had a hard time saying no, and one of the, the learning experiences for me was when I was an entrepreneur in residence uh, uh, for Trinity Ventures on Sand Hill Road, and I actually wrote a, an early blog post about that. And here it is. This is a, a group of, of people. Every day, entrepreneurs like you come through and like put up their their powerpoints and they give this story like, here's where my company's going to be worth a billion dollars <laughs> and, and you know all these pitches right and and there's a room full of, of venture partners there and like okay we'll, we'll let you know okay you get 10 of those a day coming through okay you have to say no to like 99 percent of deals because you only have so much money so right. these people the venture capitalists were some of the best and worst at saying no and there were some who were like, no, and like kind of rude, but not not at Trinity where I was working. What I found was 
the kindest thing you could do was to say no when you actually wanted to say no. <laughs> because if you said yes or you string someone along because you're afraid to say no, it yeah. totally doesn't do them a service and it doesn't do you a service because your natural wiring is to actually like help someone. So the best way you can help them is to be like, look, it's not a fit, right? And it's not going to happen. So watching it through my own experiences there and also just raising money from venture capitalists as an advisor to startups over the years, watching the way different people who were some of the best in the world at saying no, the way they did it, there were some who were kind and humble and like, no. Yeah. And there were some who were just like, like maybe not that kind and humble. When people said no to you, what was the worst no you ever got? Like the rudest, nastiest one. That's interesting you mentioning this. I did get a lot of no's and there were some no's that were really good. There are some that are really bad. Yeah. So the, the worst ones are people who try to belittle me. Oh, wow. Uh, I, but the thing is, it happened extremely, extremely um, rarely. And the reason is I learned if I was respectful enough and if I give a good reason when I ask, when I make that request, it's tough for people to be rude. It really is. Like, because that, that means it showed they started to, um, they started to not conform to the, my energy, my positive energy, and they, they show negative energy. People don't do that. If you come in with positive energy, if you tell them it's okay to say no, they're usually more respectful. So um, the worst no's are, are, are very, uh, you know, far and few in between, but they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit uh, rude, but the vast majority of them are people who are really nice. On the other side, I've seen some really good, uh, good no's that, that make me a fan of them. Um, that, that, you know, even yeah. though I didn't get what I want, I walk out of there thinking, wow, that guy, that was a perfect rejection. You know, if, what was... Well, tell me about the very best rejection. That was going to be my next question anyway. So, <laughs> so um, there's one of them was uh, I went to a 24-hour fitness. I wanted to get a free uh, – I want to get free training basically. Just wanted to see. And, and I want to give uh, – uh, you know, I want to like a barter. I want to give, teach them something for them to teach me something. It's kind of weird. <laughs> That's awesome. This. But I went in. This, this guy named Jordan, and he was uh, a, a young trainer. He was like – he gave me a very straightforward no. And give me a very good reason, uh, saying, "Sorry, we have this non uh, we have this uh, uh, non compete uh, uh, agreement. Meaning, if I train you without taking money from you, right, I'm competing against the company. I, I, I might get fired. Which is like, I don't want to get you fired, <laughs> you know. <laughs> first, uh, and then he showed me an alternative of getting a yes. He was like, I got this friend, uh, and she can she runs this private gym. I'm sure." Uh, she's uh, much more flexible. She can give you all the free uh, training you want and tell her that I send you. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure she will help you. And she, you know, and then I went to her, his friend and she was really nice. So he showed me an alternative of getting a yes. Uh, and so that showed that he, he was not rejecting me as a person. He was rejecting my request. And in turn, he was trying to help me. Um, so that was a great rejection. Another example I want to give was I went to a Costco. I, I talked to the manager and said, hey, can I speak over your intercom to your customers? <laughs> and uh, he's got no, sorry. Um, but I was like, you know what? So I, at this point, at that point, I learned how to negotiate. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I'm a customer. Not only I'm a customer, I'm a loyal customer. I love Costco. Here's my membership card. Check my history, see how many thousand dollars I spent here this year, and uh, I want to say the best thing about Costco. And he was like, "Okay, uh, how about this?" He was trying to help me now. You know, if you want to say nice things about uh, Costco, why don't you put an article in? Uh, give the article to me. I'll submit. Help you to submit it to our magazine called Costco Connect. I'm sure you get that in your mailbox. Uh, you know, and they love the corporate loves to get that. Uh, I'm like, well, I just want to talk to you. I just want to speak on on your intercom. And he was like, "Well, are you hungry?" I was like. Excuse me? I was like, are you hungry? Um, if you are hungry, how about I buy you dinner for you and your family? Uh, wow. Sorry, I cannot say yes to you on this request. But, uh, you know, I, I love that you're a loyal customer. You know, get whatever you want. So I, you know, well, I, I walk out of there with a full stomach of, you know, hot dogs and pizza. <laughs> I mean, so he said no to me, but made me a concession. You know, yeah. I mean, when I say concession, I'm not talking about uh, a pizza hot dog. But I'm saying <laughs> it gave me a real concession. You give me a real concession. Uh, in that case, it, it's tough to be mad at someone or even disappointed when someone gives something to you. So these are the skills I learned of how to say no to people that, that don't offend, not only don't offend them, but have a chance to make them a fan of yours. One of the things that, that 
naturally you feel when someone rejects you, especially if they do it in a rude way, is is like you, you feel anger and, and you're kind mm-hmm. of pissed off and you, you play it over and over in your head sometimes. Um, what did you do or what did you learn to do over the course of, of being rejected of times to uh, to handle that side of being rejected? Yeah, absolutely. The, the natural reaction is our, uh, uh, you know, the lizard brain, what, like crocodile or whatever you want to call it, right? The fight and flight, uh, fight or flight response, right? Um, our brain naturally, um, the, the reaction, they, they did a CAT scan on our brain, uh, not my brain, but on subjects' brains and in this research that they found when people are rejected, their brain is secreting some sort of you know, opioid uh, as if they're physically attacked. So, you know, it's like people are talking about slap in the face, right? It's actually almost our brain is treating a verbal slap of face to as a real slap of face. Yeah, it's cortisol. It's a stressful, right? Yeah. And and so so, um, naturally we want to either fight or flight, meaning we want to argue, you know, how can you reject me? And this request is so legit. I'm the best person for this job. Uh, This is the next billion dollar company. You're stupid if you don't fund it. Things like that. Or we're just... We get so down. We're like, oh gosh, okay, we got rejected. And naturally, our energy lowers. We just want to get out of there as soon as possible. So th- these are the natural responses. But you know, I learned that if you stay engaged and and say, okay, man, man, know why? You know, the ask a question, why? Man, know why you reject me? Um, now people have to explain uh, themselves, right? So sometimes you can find the underlying reason for the rejection. A lot of times, really, it has more to do with them than you. It doesn't fit. It goes both ways. People will think about rejection as a one-way street, that we our ideas sucks and whatever, right, or we're not worthy. But it actually says a lot about that person and his needs or her needs as well. Or maybe the mood of the day, maybe maybe a lifelong education or a prejudice. Who knows? We have nothing to do with that sometimes. But we can find out those reasons by asking why. And sometimes we can ask, you know, uh, I really want this to happen. Here's the reason. How can you help me um, to get this happen? So now you're collaborating with them instead of uh, instead of arguing with them. So you know, ask why. Stay uh, positive and respectful. Uh, stay engaged and ask the uh, uh, collaborate with them. These are some things you can just do. You know, then then and once you do that, once you are not that afraid, uh, once you don't run away, that fear will be reduced substantially. One of the things that's really frustrating for especially people in their early in their career is you go in for an interview mm. and you don't get the job. And you can be like, oh, it's because I'm a failure. And you're like, no, it's maybe because <laughs> yeah. you were asking too much money or right. because someone who was even better came along right. uh, or because they closed the position. But if, if you do what any self-improvement oriented person would do and you call up the hiring manager, say, look, I thought we connected really well. Can you tell me why you didn't hire me? You're going to hear, no, I can't tell you. And they can't tell you because they'll get sued. And like there's, there's at least at big companies, there's very, very strict HR policies. And, you know, you can get fired for telling someone why you didn't hire them kind of thing, right. uh, which is really sad because it, it's a huge avenue for learning. And I, I learned about this very early in, in my career. People don't know this. I used to weld Toyota truck frames. Uh, <laughs> I worked okay. in, auto, in an auto parts warehouse for five years during summers. I was also an entrepreneur, and I, you know, I sold the first things over the Internet. But I'm like, I need whatever I can get to pay for this constantly increasing tuition. So we need, a, we need a breaking news like ticker, you know, breaking yeah. news. Dave, you know, Dave Asper used to work for Toyota doing well. Yeah, it was a Toyota subcontract. I, I, I highly <laughs> recommend you not buy any truck I might have welded. Let me just put it that way. Um, and I, I didn't weld for that long because I, I went I did a lot of putting parts in boxes. But during like the training and, and the, the thing, they were going the training hundreds of people opening a new factory. And at the end of, of all the training and all this stuff, they didn't hire me. And I was pissed. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. you're, you're going in the news saying there's a lack of qualified workers. I'm like, here I am. I'm almost done with college. And you're saying I'm not qualified to weld truck frames. And I took it really personally. Mm-hmm. Right. And and finally, when it uh, I, I agitated about it, I was pretty mad. And finally, the, the guy broke the rules, the, the plant manager. And he sat me down and said, Dave. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not supposed to tell you this. The reason we're not hiring you is that you don't fit in with the rest of the workers. And it, what he was it was kind of saying was was like, Dave, maybe you should like be working in the computer department or something. But like, you know, th- this this um, 
your personality isn't well suited for this kind of work. Uh, maybe you're not that much of a team player. I don't know. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a, 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 right. a I wouldn't have been happy on a factory floor. Let me just put it that way. And he was right about that. But uh, if, if he hadn't have been kind enough to pull me aside and say that, I would have just been like, you know, those jerks. And I would have carried that for a long time. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what, what I'm getting at in that story is that in order to to overcome that rejection thing, where you feel that those stress hormones, the antidote for that is actually forgiveness, where you're like, okay, I, I'm going to forgive that person for what they did. And the easiest way I know of to do it is to say, all right, I don't know their situation, but I could make up a really dire story. Oh, I mean, they didn't hire me because you know, that night their their significant other had a heart attack and then went to the hospital. And then, you know, like you just don't have any clue. And yeah. so you can make up all the stories that it's all about you or you can make it all about them. Absolutely. What worked best for you? Like, did you have a specific thing to let go of that? Did you did, did you call it forgiveness? Like, like, how do you how do you do that? Because you practiced this 100 days in a row and you paid attention when you did it. And almost no one ever does that. Yeah. So a couple of things. One is uh, as you're in that is a perfect example, because it I learned that I can make the same request to 10 different people. And I would get different answers. Some say yes, some say no. Some couldn't get away from me faster. Some would give me a hug, right? It says everything about that person. And, and the, you know, we, because we live in a me-centric world and universe, right? So this, we call this uh, in psychology, like a spotlight effect. We, we magnify everything about ourselves. We think we're the, in the middle of the universe. Everything people are doing and reacting says a lot about us. It actually, it's not the case. You know, we... It, most people care, I mean, almost everyone just care most about themselves. They, they, their rejection reflects their needs, their mood, their background, you know, their lack of knowledge or, you know, whatever. It says a lot about them. So having that perspective about, as you were mentioning, you know, forgiving them, you know, coming up with, with excuses. And I even don't, I even just, before I make the request, before I ask anything, I, I give, said, I give freedom. I said, Okay, they're in their total, they have the full freedom, they have the agency to say either yes or no to me. If I have the, if I have the freedom to ask, I have the, I learned I have the freedom to ask anything I want, if I give a good reason, anything. But the other side is, I have to give the other side the freedom to say whatever they want, either yes or, uh, either yes or no, being nice or rude, and I can't be too, too mad. If I don't want them to be mad at me, asking them a request, I have to not be mad at them for saying either yes or no. So, so you, you've let go of, of attachment to outcome, and you're going to ask the question and be okay with either answer. Yeah, absolutely. And the, 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 the detachment is a key in this, uh, just, just, for, just because two, for two reasons. One, for emotional reasons. It gave me the confidence and freedom and swagger to just go ask. And if I don't care about the outcome too much, I can be as confident, as, as persuasive as possible. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? If I don't care about the outcome that much, I care, then I can become even better uh, at, at my negotiation, at, at my persuasion. And on the, also, from a performance perspective, and we're doing research on this right now, that if you care about the process the, uh, more than the outcome, you can actually improve performance. You can actually get more yeses. Um, by focusing on what you can control. Because in the end, a yes and no, uh, acceptance or rejection, you, you can't control that. What you can control is what you do, is go out and ask. And if you focus on what you can, you can control, that means you uh, are much less stressed and more confident as a result. What do you say to panhandlers when they come up and ask you for money? <laughs> so, I, sometimes I, uh, it, it kind of depends. You know, I, because I panhandled myself. Uh, in 100 Days of Rejection. I, I stood on the corner of Austin uh, when um, just in the, in the summer heat, and I asked for, uh, I asked for money, but uh, I didn't ask for money for myself. I asked money for charity. Um, and I kind of see that from their per, uh, point of view. It's, to me, it stunk. It's really horrible because you're asking them for money, and, and, it's, and people stop, right? The car stops, and most of them, they establish a quick eye contact. They're like, okay, I don't want to maintain eye contact with that guy. They just look down on their phone and stuff. So I had to do all kind of, uh, uh, give all kind of coping mechanism to, to, to stay engaged, to sing to myself, to talk to myself, 
to not get down on myself. But I'm sure if you do too much panhandling, you kind of desensitize yourself from that, right? There are some panhandlers, there are a few of them that actually need the money for a good reason. I've, I've seen them. Uh, I've talked to a few of them. And, but also there are, of course, there are alcoholics who don't, right? So a lot of times it really depends on how, uh, depends on you. I mean, you can't have an interview with them and find out the reason. But sometimes you're like, okay, is this the right thing to do? Do I do this? Then if you focus on is it the right thing to do, should, should you get uh, do this, you, you kind of uh, disregard, you know, what, what the other person, what they might be uh, lying or they might be, uh, you know, telling the truth. So it, I, I try to do that sometimes, you know, should, I mean, should, I mean, so should I give? Uh, is this the right thing to give? So. I had a guy once, he said, I, I need money for medicine. And I looked at him and I said, what kind of medicine? And, and he looks me right in the eye and he goes, beer? <laughs> alcohol <laughs> is a drug, right? I'm like, you know, here's a buck, man. I don't really support, <laughs> support alcoholism, but like that answer, all right, you win. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, they, they try to play this too, right? Uh, yeah. they, they, the messaging is important. Some people play with humor. Some people try with honesty. And some people uh, try to uh, pull your emotional strings with I'm a veteran and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, some, sometimes people come with re- really creative ones and that sometimes you're just like, you know what, just for that messaging, um, you're a marketing genius. I, I got to pay you for your work, you know? Yeah, th- that was one of those clear cases. Yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes, like, I don't carry money much anymore. Like, it's usually digital I'm traveling because you have credit sure. cards and phones and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's, you know, you don't want to be like, so do you take Apple Pay, you know, in your hat? <laughs> it, it, it's not quite like that. Uh, so then I, I just have a square. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I, sometimes I'll just be like, look, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to help you. Uh, and I'm sorry to have any cash, but if I did, I'd give you some. Right. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, I like to hope that that makes him feel more human than that sort of desensitization mode. There's no reason to be a jerk to someone who's panhandling, whether or not they're homeless, whether or not you know, they go get in their BMW and drive away when they're done. You have no idea. Yeah, but, and also, there's, as, there, as you're saying, there's no point of anyone being a jerk when yeah. saying no to people. Yeah. That, that, I mean, it, it does no one any good. You know, <laughs> the, the, the worst thing you see that people are, you know, there are things that are happening when people are having revenge or anger, you know, road rage. It's just because people are rejecting them rudely. And then no one, no one shoot other people or maybe that, you know, maybe that's one extreme uh, example, but no one get extremely mad if you reject them nicely. Yeah. And there's no reason uh, to, to just spread anger in, yeah. in your wake by rejecting people really. So, so manners actually have a, a have a place. Yeah. Okay. And you don't feel good yourself either. You know, most of the times, I mean, you think like by you being rude, maybe you can feel better, you know, somehow it doesn't in the long run. You actually just kind of uh, telling yourself that you're not a nice person in a way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, I find most people they have a harder time sleeping at night if they're like, man, I, I really was kind of rude that on one hand, they're like, yeah, that guy deserved it. But on the other yeah. hand, they're kind of like, and I'm a jerk. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if you're nice to people, uh, if you're respectable people, you don't get nightmares from that. Yeah. Like, you don't lose sleep over that. Right? Yeah. Now, one of the things you write about is how to make your team rejection-proof. And you've talked about that. How do you make a team of people rejection-proof? Yeah, so it takes some training. You really have to, uh, um, first of all, you have to get that idea ingrained into your team. And talking about, you know, it's okay to, First of all, it's okay to say no to other people, and also it's okay to take no. And but the thing is, you have to communicate. You you can't be a jerk. You have to communicate. You have when you say no, you have to give an honest reason to each other why why I don't agree with this. You know, and then you know, and also there it's okay to have a back and forth. As you know, and I, I ask my team to say if if you say no to people, give your reason. But also listen to the other person's, uh, you know, response, and you know, their goal with the negotiation. Like I love negotiation. I, I love a back and forth in any communication with my team, with my kid. If my kid reject me, saying no, but give me a good reason, I'm so happy. You know, I can I can encourage him or uh, my kid to to say, uh, you know, to I mean, to, uh, I mean, to get back to me. So that type of uh, uh, rejection training, that type of uh, rejection seeking, and that type of negotiation, over the long term, it actually does you great, uh, really good. Because we, 
are afraid of no. The word no is the most painful word in the English language. And, and a lot of times we really crave yes and hate no. As, re- as that, you know, there's study I've done, uh, shown that, you know, we, we want yes so much, we don't try as many times. We just want to have a, com- we have a confirmation bias. We just want to confirm what we believe in, then move on as soon as possible because we're so afraid of being rejected by other people by fact by science, or uh, we don't look for data that, that's contradictory to our beliefs, and in the long term, is really harmful to our productivity in business. That is, is good advice, and I, I like to think that, that team bulletproof is is largely rejection-proof, but I know that there are uh, there are some people um, who just naturally, like, we're, we're wired. You, you hear no, and you sort of, like, you don't want to hear it, so you sort of tell yourself that you didn't really hear it, and it didn't really mean no, and, and it's... Uh, it's really interesting. Different roles. If you're in sales, you know you, you probably don't hear no very well because you just keep asking, and you, know, you hear seven no's before, before you hear a yes, and that's just how you get paid. And, and right. there are other people where you, you know it, it doesn't happen, and it really upsets you. And, and to try and build that into the culture, uh, where like like acceptance of failure. Like, yep, if you didn't fail, sometimes you probably weren't working very hard, were you? And when you were working, you're working on avoiding failure instead of on stretching for goals. And, it, it's really tough to build it into a company culture. I, I'm not sure that I know how, but I'll work on, <laughs> on doing some of what you're talking about there to make sure that we don't have people who have rejection phobia working at Bulletproof. Yeah. I also want to add a couple points. One thing you can do is to celebrate uh, a failure and yeah. really ge- genuinely celebrate something that, I mean, if it's something someone tried is audacious enough and you get rejected or uh, failed, Celebrate that. Celebrate the audacious, uh, you know, the audaciousness, right? If you try something safe, you probably wouldn't get out rejected by people. But mm-hmm. the real innovation, um, especially they've done studies showing, uh, you know, that it shows that we, with we, we, everyone say we love innovation or love creativity, but really in our mind we hate it. You know, our body hates uh, that because it, it's not what we know. The, the thing, the new thing, is not something we usually know. And our brain doesn't like that. So um, a lot of times you, you have to try really audacious things and, and, and see they get rejected. That's, that's fine. And that's how you learn and, and uh, you know, make, um, achieve great goals. Also, another thing, um, another thing you can do is to set up a system where someone has to reject you. You know, the, the Disney does this the best, right? There is... There is the story of Disney. They every time they run through an idea, whether that's a you know a, maybe a direction of a company or maybe it's an animation film, uh, how they want to run this idea is they go through uh, three different rooms, and and one of the room is the creativity room, right? Uh, you know, you get all the, all the stimulus and all the creative things. You get as many ideas as possible, but once they move through uh, through three rooms, the last room. It's a critic room. That room is everyone has to say, have to find some, uh, shoot, you know, shoot, you know, poke some hole into this argument, into this idea. So it force someone to say to everyone to reject you. Now, if you can withstand that rejection, if you give a counter argument, if, if after all those rejections, if after all those uh, negativity, you can still want to go forward with that, that means this idea is sound. So it forces you to give rejection, but it also forces you to take rejection and negotiate and counter-argue uh, those rejections. It's funny. Uh, at bedtime with my kids, I actually do uh, talk about failure. And I'm like, tell me something you failed at today. And people are like, what? You know, you're, you're having a five-year-old tell you how he failed? <laughs> and I'm like, yep. And sometimes he's like, Daddy, I didn't really fail at anything. And I just go, oh, and he goes, what? Well, I said, well, weren't you working on something so hard that, that it was hard for you and, and that you're still trying to learn how to do it? Like, is, isn't, it, isn't it better that you fail at something because you push so hard and that maybe tomorrow you can turn that into a win? And, and mm-hmm. so whenever there's a failure, it's part of the bedtime ritual. Be like, oh, that's great. You worked so hard on something that you didn't know how to do it. And I'm hoping to instill that in the kids so that as they grow up, like, yeah, of course it didn't work, whatever. Like, I'll figure it out tomorrow or I'll do it differently. But I learned something from the failure instead of like, oh, I'm a bad person because it failed. So uh, I'll tell you in 18 years if I did that right. But yeah, I'm hoping it works. Hey, uh, that's a great idea. I'm going to start tonight trying it on my kid. I got yeah. a three-year-old. So uh, the, the other part of it that, that I had to teach him, and three might be a little early for the nuances, but there's also 
gratitudes. I'm like, I want three things every night that you're grateful for. And those are not optional. <laughs> like right. you can tell me something where, where there was a win. A win is something you really worked on that you got and a fail is something you worked on that you didn't get. Uh, but gratitude has to happen. And there's three of those. And it could be, you know, I'm, I'm grateful we had steak for dinner. It doesn't matter. You just have to find three right. things that were good that happened. And it makes them reflect on the day. But I, I don't know if the win-loss thing at three would, st- if they would get it, they probably could understand fail, like, oh, I, I tried this. But certainly gratitude. Like, they can do that when they're old enough to talk. All right. I'm going to try that tonight. I'll let you know. All right. I'm, I'm curious. I, I bet my kids love it. <laughs> All right. I want to ask you about some of the specific things you tried because they're hilarious. All right. You wanted to interview President Obama. How did yeah. you ask and what happened? Well, I tried different ways. Uh, and I tried to use... Uh, uh, use social media. I tried to make a petition at the White House, and I tried to use a uh, you know a news article as the channel, right? So I tried different ways, and then it turned into uh, this uh, like a a huge huge media task. Like I've, I've, <laughs> I, I I see there's a straight way of getting this done, but that involved me like really really being involved for this thing for a long period of time. And, and then, you know, and so after that, I'm like, man, do I really want to interview him? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I developed this thing. It's called how many no's can I take before I give up? Because, lots, you know, to quit or not to quit, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's actually a skill, right? It's a, long, it's a long debate of, you know, do we give up? Or when we give up, are we being smart? Are we being like uh, trying to try something we're better at, or are we just pansies or giving up? We're not, you know, uh, tough enough. So I did this to myself and I actually advocate to other people uh, through this episode is it, before you ask anything, tell, ask yourself how many no's can you take, will you take before you give up? So now you can make rejection a fuel instead of a detriment. You know, so you're like, okay, haven't, oh, haven't, uh, I got rejected, but haven't run through my fuel yet. Um, so, I'm going to keep getting rejected until that number runs to zero. In uh, that way, once you get tried all the channels, you get all the no's, you have no regret. So, uh, and, and, uh, so uh, in, in this case, I asked myself, do I, how, how much do I want to interview President Obama? And it turned out to be not really much. So the no <laughs> I give myself isn't a whole lot. And because I've talked to, I've talked to my heroes, I've talked to famous people, but it's like, what can I know? He gets interviewed every day from you know news and media. Why does the world need me to to talk to him about it? So I actually uh, you know after I run my number of notes were pretty low. After running through them, I'm like I gotta do something, right? What's the most meaningful thing to me? And it turned out I want to uh, you know uh, change someone's life, and in this case, I want to change my wife's life, and and so. Together we had a new project, uh, and I tried to find, help her to find a dream job, and she did. You know, and so using everything I would talk about today, everything I've learned, and I actually also teach other people on that as well, how to find their dream job, uh, and you know, with I guess in a rejection-proof way. It, it's interesting. There, people like President Obama and anyone who's in the public spotlight. After a very short order, they develop systems of filters to say no yeah. automatically because right. we only have so many decisions and as that decision fatigue and saying yeah. no is a decision that actually takes some amount of mental energy. Right. So you got to imagine to get to President Obama to get a yes or no. He's never going to say yes or no. He's going to show up and do the interview and he's going to have a briefing document that says, who's this guy and why do you care? And he's right. going to give you, you know, your two minutes and then his handlers are going to have him off. But to get through there, you, there's probably like 42 layers of people who say, oh, yes, no, who are you? Yes, no, yes, no. Right. And, and stuff like that. So that's just going to be a lot of no's because there's a lot of filters. Yeah. And after a while, I'm like, Again, if I if my life depends on it, I'm gonna I can yeah. go through a lot of no's. But the thing is, at the at the, at the moment, I feel like I don't want to turn my like, spend a whole year or like six months doing nothing but trying to get to President Obama, and then get to my two minutes. It really wasn't that meaningful to me. Yeah. So so the number of no's that you should take is tied to the value of the price. Yeah, of absolutely. And it, it, it's a great way to gauge how much you care. Uh, about this, like you know, maybe you your what? How many notes can I take to get a value, like to, to get a good deal on this car? Maybe I can take four to five notes. After that, I'm like, screw this, I'm just gonna buy it, right? <laughs> um, but how how many notes can I if uh, you know if one of my family members is sick, 
uh, knock on wood, you know, how many nodes can I take to find a cure? That's the number be extremely high, and I would not give up until I find that. Right, and so. and that's that's human nature. But knowing the amount of energy ahead of time that you're willing to put into this, it it affects your negotiation for sure. Because yeah. say, all right, you know, are you going to spend an extra four hours to save an extra two hundred and fifty dollars on the cost of your car? Well, if you make twelve dollars an hour, you bet your ass. If you yeah. make sixty bucks an hour, probably not, right? Yeah. And so it it, it comes it, it kind of comes with the territory. And we make that mistake of not knowing should we quit or not all the time. Sometimes yeah. we try way too hard on something that's so meaningless, it's laughable. But in that moment, we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't quit. I got to get this done. You ever buy something at an auction? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, like, like, why I, did I just buy that? I know. <laughs> like, I, just I, know. Had to say yes. I know. Yeah. All right. You also decided you're going to give a speech on the street. What happened with that? Yeah, so um, I uh, I went on a uh, I went I went on the street of Austin and uh, just want to give a public speech. And the reason I want to do that is, well, I was looking for rejection, but also I want to toughen myself up. You know, I I started getting a lot of speaking inquiries from like companies and conferences to teach people how to overcome their fear of rejection because you know because I did this right. I'm like, okay, if I can do. If I can make a, you know, I know I can talk when people pay me or pay the, the audience pay to be there, right? But what if just on the empty street, you know, just people walk by and some of them might be drunk, you know, what's going to happen to me? So I tried that. First of all, uh, I held up a sign saying public, spe- public speech in like 10 minutes or something. Uh, stop if you're interested. And people drive, people, you know, uh, walk by and drove by. No one stopped. And I'm so I'm like, okay, maybe this is over. But before leaving, I'm I was like, screw this. I'm just gonna I'm I made this far already. Let me just give a speech. Let me just start telling my story to the empty street and see what happens. So I, by the way, it was tough. I'm not saying yeah. it was easy. It was really tough to to get over your own fear of or embarrassment. And I did. And I got some people to stop and like there are five of them. And I gave a 10 minute speech and they gave me applause at the end. Um, so. And that gave me so much strength, you know, so much training, so much strength. And so later on, I was like giving talks at much bigger venues and in front of a lot, much larger crowd. And I kept telling myself and, you know, I went through that in Austin, on the street of Austin, when no one was paying me or no one was wanting to stop. If I could do that, I can do it here when people are paying attention uh, or when people choose to be here. I push my limits a lot that way. Uh, a few years ago, I read uh, the Neil Strauss book, Emergency. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had a chance to hang out with Neil. He's a, a totally interesting guy. And uh, at the time I hadn't met him, though, in Emergency, he writes about this urban escape and evasion course. And you get trained for two days on how to tell if, like, how to be kidnapped in a foreign country, like what to do. <laughs> uh, and it's like James Bond school for adults. And the final exam is they hood you and they handcuff you for real in the back of a van and they, they kidnap you. Wow. And then they say, don't leave the van. And then, of course, they give you a chance to escape. So you pick the handcuffs and you take off the hood and you run away and you have these missions to accomplish. And you have no resources unless you hid some things around town and the things may be there. They may not. So you're basically like, oh, my God, I'm entirely reliant on myself or on whatever I can ask people for. Mm. And so. Um, that that actually provided incentive. So you just used raw willpower to do it. For me, I'm like, okay, like I've got to, like I've got to get across town, and I don't have any money, and I don't exactly know how. So you're like, do you hitchhike in California? Like, like you know, <laughs> right. how, how do you do this? So that pushed a, a lot of a lot of limits. And I I remember really specifically the bounty hunters. And oh, by the way, during the day, there's a dozen bounty hunters looking for you, and if they catch you, they handcuff you and drop you off further out of town, and you're like. What do I do here? So there's literally teams looking for you. It's kind of scary. And you know you're not going to be harmed, but you really get into it. And it's, it's a psychological thing, like to push your right. limits. And so I'm, I'm kind of like, like a little bit freaking out. And there's these guys driving by. I know that they're the bounty hunters. And I'm like wearing a baseball cap and trying to not look like myself. So I'm like, I need to go into a store. And I need to like hang out for a while and not okay. be recognized. And I'm wearing like this kind of like dorky, like fake ponytail thing so that they I look different. <laughs> And I, this was in somewhere in Santa Monica where there's celebrities. And 
so I, I'm in there. I'm like, I need like a quote on like wheels for my car. And like, where's your car? I'm like, it's at home. And, and I'm just like these stupid stories. And there's like four people looking at me like, this is obviously a celebrity because he's wearing these weird sunglasses. And like, and, <laughs> and I just remember feeling like kind of look, looking down on myself and just feeling like I'm asking all these people for stuff I don't want, but I have to do it because like someone's going to catch me and handcuff me. And I was really uncomfortable <laughs> with the whole situation. Yeah. But that was why I had done it, like was to, to push that. But it, it, it was intriguing that it was easier to do that when there's the, the perceived bodily threat. It's not really a threat. I mean, these are, they're not going to beat me up. They're just going to, like, handcuff me and say, all right, ha, ha, we caught you. Um, but you get into it psychologically. So, but you bypassed all the motivation, and yours was just like, I'm going to improve myself. So I'm going to take these things. Um, was there a, a, I'm, I'm sorry. What you were saying is almost like a, a Stanford prisoner, uh, you know, experiment, right? People uh, really get into these experiments, and pretty soon yeah. they started performing as if they're in real situations. Yeah, and it's designed to be real. Like, like half yeah. the people in the class were were going to uh, to Afghanistan, and the other half were basically like like one guy was like a child abduction attorney specialist <laughs> and international travelers i just makes it sounded really kind of cool but these are people where you might be kidnapped and so they tell you you know here's how to tell if you're being tailed you know here's how to you know get out of zip ties and all this weird james bond kind of stuff it, it was great fun um, one of the miss americas was in the class like it was it was just ridiculously cool so <laughs> I, I owe it to neil for recommending that class um now that was like for me, kind of a big like. All right, I'm just going to face rejection here because there's bounty hunters chasing me, which made it easier. <laughs> yeah. But was there a rejection you had that just didn't matter? Like, okay, I didn't learn anything at all. Was it like were there meaningless rejections, or did every one of them have a lesson? Well, I, because I was doing a blog at, uh, at the time, I need to write a learning lessons okay. from every single one. So there's incentive for me to find learning out of everything, and I just can't believe how easy it was. To find learning in everything so in every day in every situation if you want to find learning from that you you find learning and and that makes you so much better the next time you know i got so many yeses at the time after a while because i learned to be really good at this you know to how to talk to someone how to disarm them how to be assertive but not rude right how to get a yes and then, and so there are a lot of them are supposedly meaningless in that in real world situation. But I use them as a training tool to train myself to to learn how to say yes, uh, how to get a yes, to learn how to handle no, to learn how to get over myself. Um, so uh, essentially, there are, you know. I mean, also, I made a rule that I want to ask something that there are, there needs to be kind of cool. You know, there needs to be something I'm willing to do. Otherwise. My body would, you know, if I ask something that's not pleasant, my body will force me to, you know, to, to, to get a rejection. I, that's not something I want. I actually want to, uh, you know, if I get a yes, I want to I go through this. So, yeah, there's not anything that's so meaningless because I've tried to find meaning in everything, um, um, you know, in, in every learning situation. So, so what, what did Barnes & Noble say when you went in to borrow a book? And, and I'm hoping it was a copy of The Bulletproof Diet, but I'll forgive you if it wasn't. <laughs> Well, I forgot the book. It could be. I could, <laughs> it, could, it could be your book. Uh, um, but I think your book came out uh, the last year? It was December of last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was before that. So uh, it probably not your You're book. You're off the hook then. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> so I went through, um, I tried this uh, two times. One was a, uh, a guy who was a little bit rude. You know, who was like, you know, I mean, he wasn't extremely rude. He was like, you know, I don't want to tell you, man, you know, so, um, so he said no. And, and, but then I talked with the other uh, person, it's a girl, you know, and she gave me a smile from beginning to end, like really nice customer service smile and a smile. And she told me, you know, I, I can't, sorry, we can't, uh, we're not library. We can't let you do it. It can let you borrow a book, but you can buy a book, you know, and return it or uh, something like that. So she was helping me to, 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 you know, try to get a yes. And, the thing is, I think the only difference between these two people are one had a smile, another didn't. And that made a huge difference in how I perceived that rejection. Well, well there's, there's also one was a male, which is yeah. a threat, and the other one was a female, which is, now I'll be crass, but a mating opportunity. And I don't mean you think <laughs> about it like this, but this is a biological response, right? Like, like <laughs> men and women interact differently than men and men and women and women. Like, we're, we're, we're animals on some level. Well, so, I, I'm denying that because my wife might be hearing this, <laughs> this episode. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, do you find sure. that because you're a male that women say yes to you more, more than men do? 
maybe, but uh, maybe, but not enough for me to to say okay. It's a, it's a woman that that's a sure fire yes, and as a guy, it's gonna be difficult. I've learned that if I'm nice, and I get a lot of yeses from guys as well. Yeah, yeah p- people are people. I, I, yeah. I was hoping you would say that, but there, there's definitely a different approach that that guys will take when they're asking for a yes for from a woman versus from a man. Uh, sure. and, it, and it's not to say that the woman is more likely to say yes or more likely to say no, but that, you know, if you're, if you're good at asking for things like your interaction with the person as a, an individual human being, regardless of, of gender, is going to be one way. But the gender is going to probably bias the type of smile of you have or something like that. Of course. And if, if you're awesome looking guy or if you're yeah. uh, especially for a great looking girl and talking to a guy you probably get a lot more yeses we're, we're kind of suckers for that like we'll, yeah. we'll basically <laughs> say yes and then we'll, like oh, why did i say yes but yeah that, that's just kind of how it is and i've seen this once where there's a door-to-door salesperson um you know she looked like a model and i'm pretty sure and she couldn't even speak english that well <laughs> you know and i'm when i talked when i opened the door and she was talking to me she was trying to sell me something I knew at the moment that, okay, uh, you know, this is uh, there's probably the reason that they they ha- sent her over over here, and and for the for uh, for moral reasons, I, I had to say no. <laughs> you know, I had to re- I have to reject the hot blonde because otherwise I'm succumbing to their scheme or something like that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I could respect that. <laughs> All right, we're coming up on the end of the show, and there's a question that every guest hears, and and that is based on all the stuff you've learned, not just from writing Rejection Proof, but but from your entire life's experience. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, "Look, I'm going to perform better at everything. What are the three most important things that that I could that I could learn from you? What would they be?" Well, one is the most important. One, one thing is practice. Uh, just practice. Um, I. Um, when I was uh, going to graduate school, I had this professor. His name is Dan Ariely. Um, you know, he 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 wrote the book uh, uh, "Predictably Irrational," right? So I I I called him and once, and he he was on the TED stage a few times. He was one of you know, very accomplished speaker. So when I started getting these uh, speaking engagements, and I called him and asked him, "Hey, what do I do? You know, how do I get better at this?" And he told me. The only thing is you practice, but practice in real situations, just like the rejection thing, right? I was rejecting, uh, I was using rejection to uh, the small rejection, the safe rejection to practice for something much, much bigger later on. The same thing with public speaking. If I start speaking um, in a very small environment, maybe two to three people, maybe 20 people, maybe 50 people, right? It gradually increases the stake, but you learn uh, how what line people like, what line people don't like, uh, and and you, um, you use real feedback, and then you can become really good. So you know that I well, I gave a talk at TEDx Austin. That was uh, probably you know why I landed a book deal, or it, it becomes a very popular talk. And and the people who were there were they were just scientists, artists. They did amazing things. I was like, I'm the rejection guy. You know, what, what can I offer? But the thing is, I gave a few talks, the same talk before that big stage, and I got the experience and confidence that I kind of nailed it uh, on, on that stage. So practice is, is a huge thing, you know, and, and don't think you can wing it. Don't think you can, uh, with your natural ability and charisma, to, to do anything that, that's amazing. Some, a lot of times, just you have to practice. So uh, that's the first thing I want to say. And the second thing is um, you need to get over the comfort zone. Uh, and sometimes by doing that, you, you have to slightly put yourself outside the comfort zone a little bit, little by little. Just like when you're um, training your muscle, your, your physical muscle. Uh, if you try to, if you get, become too comfortable, you don't grow. If you become a little bit uncomfortable, then your comfort zone grows uh, with you. And then eventually you become better at that, you know, at whatever you're doing. So, um, and the and the last thing I didn't prepare for the last one. <laughs> so, um, I would say um, be extremely con- conscious about the learning experience in every situation you go into. It's amazing that how much knowledge and we can accumulate every day, but we don't because we just after something happened, we just don't pay attention to it, you know, and. You know, we let it go. So uh, as a result, we uh, we lose so you know we lose so many learning opportunities. 
Um, I want to add, I want to tell you one thing. I read your article about um, uh, that article you wrote about uh, training yourself to uh, using heart rate variability. Oh yeah, yeah. I read the article uh, and just recently, and it's something that is so interesting and made me so interested to be on this show because it's something I'm really into now. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, um, think about this. Um, I'm, I wear the heart rate variability go, uh, before a rejection session, right? Yes. That can, that can make me, that, that will make me know how stressed I am during that situation. And gradually, I know how much I can get better at. So we have the, the Bulletproof like stress detective app, and you wear the heart rate monitor, and all day long it records your heart rate variability. And you could actually be like, oh, at this time I was asking for this, and my heart rate variability dropped. So you're like, oh, wow, it really did freak me out. Right. Or you could even in the middle of it, like look at your phone, if you could do it without breaking you know, the, the connection with the person, and there'll be a graph on your phone telling you how stressed you are in real time. Yeah. And I mean, it's awesome for any kind of meeting, whether there's rejection yeah. or not, because you're like, does meeting my boss always make me freak out? And if so, like maybe I should work on that. Yeah. Right. And what happened is when I tried it, is what happened is when I I felt the first one is always feels the worst. Which uh, which app are you using? It's uh, probably not mine. I don't know. Uh, no, it's your. Uh, I need to find out the name of this thing. I have okay. Icon. Yeah, but I'll let you know afterward. Sure. I need to find it. Um. So, but the thing is, what what I have found is the 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 first one is usually the the has the biggest draw. And then it gets better. So it makes me feel like every time I, when something important happens, I should try it a couple of times before, I pretend to try a couple of times before I go to the real situation. And then I become more comfortable in that third or fourth or fifth try, right? So, uh, and, and then, you know, maybe before giving a speech, I practice a few times. And, and then when I get on there, it's the fourth and fifth time. It doesn't become a stress of, uh, you know, anymore. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just at the very beginning of of, of exploring, uh, you know, of exploring this. Um, I'm making the like this uh, tying the stress thing to the heart rate variability. Um, I don't know yeah. where it's going to be at, but that's the that's the direction I'm going. It, uh, it it can teach you a lot, and and what I think you'll find. So I, I'm a, a certified coach. I, I worked with the heart math people. I'm, I'm on their advisory board. They're they're the guys who make the, the training device, not the one you'd wear all day, like like the stress detector. And there's a bunch of other heart rate variability monitors, right. but they're sort of the gold standard for training. And and what you'll what find is called? called inner balance sensor. Inner balance sensor. Inner I N N E R. And like okay. I carry them on bulletproof, but they're made by heart math. Like they're they're friends, and I, I've known them for many years. Gotcha. And um, it's really cool because there's a feeling in your body when you go into fight or flight mode and like the light turns red on your iPhone when you're monitoring it. So you get this real time thing. And what I found is that like my body would go into fight or flight mode when I'd hear a rejection. But the second thing you learn when you do this regularly is you learn how to how to make the light turn green again, which is how to take yourself out of fight or flight mode. So then, you know, you go up and you say, you know, hey, could you make me the Olympic ring donuts? If they say no, and, and your body's like, kill them. And you're like, okay, body, like, <laughs> chill down. Yeah, like, yeah, chill, yeah. <laughs> chill out. Absolutely. But it becomes like an almost an automatic, like whack-a-mole. You're like, nervous system, stop that. And you tell it to stop. And then it, it stops and you go back into the parasympathetic dominant. And then you can be like, well, no, really, like, like I'd be willing to pay for it. Like, it's okay. And, you know, yeah. you, you negotiate your thing or whatever it is you're, you're trying to do. And um, I found that's that's changed the way I negotiate enormously because you take when you take something personally, you're going to go into fight or flight. When you accept it as a decision that's outside of you and isn't affecting your safety or your survival, then you can react in the way you wanted to react instead of involuntarily. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I use the uh, the Polar H7 uh, uh, app. So uh, I'm using the, the app that comes with. Okay. I use yeah, the Polar yeah. H7 monitor with my app. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. ADH seven is actually one of the monitors that I recommend. It's a good one. So right, right. They run about sixty bucks. So if people are interested in a Harvey monitor, that's a perfectly acceptable one. It plugs into most of the apps that run on your iPhone or your Android. Um, awesome. Well, so I know we talked about uh, your URL at the very beginning. Here is the best place for people to find you: fearbuster.com, or is there another yeah. place? Okay, yeah, come to fearbuster.com. I have a lot of projects coming up, but. Uh, but that's where is is uh, yeah that's where it's the best place to find me. All right, that is uh, that's very cool. I appreciate you being on Bulletproof Radio today, and I'm looking forward to uh, maybe hanging out sometime in Silicon Valley. All right, I'm 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 glad to be here. 
If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, uh, head on over to iTunes and say like on Bulletproof Radio and maybe uh, tell one of your friends about it or pick up a copy of the Bulletproof Diet. Head on over to the Bulletproof Conference. I'd love to see you there in person and definitely watch Boldy the movie. Do something to support this idea that there's lots of things in life that are good for us and lots of things in life that kind of make you weak. And by sorting them out, you can do some amazing things. And while you're at it, get someone to say no today. Have an awesome day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.